Awesome. Hey, well, let's get into the word today. I am Red Bull excited for this morning's message. Honestly, I really am. And uh, I'm, I'm believing that God's going to move really powerfully today. And so my encouragement to you is to be full of faith, believing that God's going to move. And hey, this might be your first time in church before. My encouragement to you is just to have your heart open, to hear something that maybe you've not heard before and, and see what happens. See maybe how God might speak to you today, because I know that he wants to speak to you, that he wants to reveal himself to you today. We're actually in the middle of a series that we're calling Encounters with Jesus. It's this idea that God is not distant, but that God actually is very present in our lives. And that also, because of the fulfillment of what Jesus did on the cross and him sending the Holy Spirit, Jesus is not, the Holy Spirit is not just something to the left or to the right, but he's someone who actually dwells within, within the inside of every single believer. And so our heart has been over this series that we would begin to dive into encounters with Jesus, but also encountering the power, the presence, the healing, the restoration, the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so today uh, we're going to look at another story, uh, but we're not going to be kind of specifically talking about one person, but we're going to talk about a group of people and their encounter with Jesus. And you're going to see why in a second. Let's read this. It's in Mark chapter 10, verses 13. And it says this, And they were bringing children to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them and the disciples rebuke them. All right, so who's the they? Who's the they in this verse? Uh, the they are mothers and fathers in and around the, the community that Jesus was in at this time. And it was actually quite customary for people, mothers and fathers, uh, grandmas and grandpas, to bring their young ones to the local rabbi, who was the religious teacher or the person who had spiritual authority at that time. And they would bring their children to the local rabbi, the local person who had authority from God, to ask that they would put their hand upon them and bless them. So this is what's happening but we see in the second half of this verse, but the disciples who are Jesus's representatives, like Jesus's bodyguards, Jesus's people who have been following him around, they're rebuking this practice of bringing children to the local rabbi. And uh, we're going to see Jesus's reaction to this in a second. Grown men are pushing back. Mothers and fathers are pushing back kids. It's quite an awkward scene. Uh, we know this because verse 14 says this. But when Jesus saw it, like, uh-oh, this is, this, is, this is a real bad moment here. Uh, the Bible says here, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs to the kingdom of God. Just for a second, just imagine with me what Jesus, what's going through Jesus' mind as he is, we know about now that Jesus has definitely spent at least a year and a half with the disciples in this moment here. And Jesus must just be like face palming, just going, what the heck? You guys still don't get it. You still don't get my heart that you would push away people. I have come to set the captives free. I have come to release people. I have come to bring a message of freedom, a message of hope. And you're pushing away children. You guys simply don't get it. They're continuing to misrepresent his heart. And with this verse, we actually also get a brilliant insight into who Jesus is, who, who God is, that not only does Jesus see and hear things 
that upset him, but he also is moved to action. That Jesus isn't just a bystander when he sees injustice. He's not just a bystander when he hears something that in the Bible, indignant meaning angry, that God would get angry. For some of us this morning, that, that actually might shock us to think that God would get angry. And, and anger is another message for another day, but there actually is a godly use for anger. Anger isn't all sin. There's actually a godly use for anger. It's an emotion that's God's, that God has given us that we can actually use. And anyway, Jesus decides to openly rebuke his disciples for what they're doing. Stop. Do not hinder the children from coming towards me. Let's pick it up again in verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was angry, he was indignant, and he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs to the kingdom of God. And in verse 15 here, Jesus uses this moment to speak about what the kingdom of God is like. He uses it as a lesson for his disciples. He uses it as a lesson for everyone who is listening. And today we get to hear this lesson in verse 15. It says this, truly, I say to you, Whenever you read that in the Bible, pay attention. Jesus is about to say something quite profound. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them, the children, into his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. You know, like any story with Jesus and his disciples... It's a funny scene. It, it's, it's actually, it's quite humorous. And there's, there's a lot going on. And Jesus has brought his teenagers along with him. Many, many of the disciples were actually quite young and immature. And, you know, he's bringing them along the journey, trying to explain the heart of God to them. But again, they misrepresented his heart. And they were thinking that they were doing Jesus a favor by pushing these young children away. When in actual fact, God, Jesus, has all the time in the world for children you know in our society sometimes we kind of like push children away like shh be quiet be quiet like adults are doing their thing right now but but when it comes to God he has all the time there is nothing more important on his schedule he'll push everything aside to be with children to be with his children you know when I was a kid uh, you know like you do when you're growing up your parents invite people over for dinner or just to kind of catch up I grew up in a time where people would just pop over. Those days are kind of, they're kind of gone now. You know, like people when they didn't have phones, they're just, oh, just, just in the neighborhood, thought I would say hi. You just don't do that anymore. You make sure you send a text ahead of time. What's a doorbell? Has anyone ever heard a doorbell in this year? Maybe even, it's just something that you just don't really hear anymore. And me being the oldest child, um, I kind of always wanted to be with the adults. I wanted to like hear the conversations and hear what was going on and what mum and dad are talking about. And I knew that like, you know, when you got to keep quiet, it's like when you want to like stay up late. If you just keep quiet in the corner and you think your parents have forgotten about you, but now being a parent, fully aware, just like, you know, your parents are fully aware. Anyway, they're having this conversation. I'm like, oh, like eavesdropping, like a, like a fly on the wall. And whenever the conversation would start to get beyond me when it would kind of get a bit more mature. And maybe you've had this as well. My dad, and it was always my dad, my dad would turn to me and say, hey, Sam, go outside and play or go in your room. We're having adult talk. Did you, did you, ever, did you ever have that? Was that you? Uh, my, all the time I was like, oh, man, like, come on. I want to like hear what's going on. What's this adult talk? Like, I really want to hear what's happening. You know, there are some things that we should restrict our children from seeing our children from hearing, 
and our children from experiencing. Some of these things for all time. There are some things that we should not allow our children to see, hear, or experience. And it's our heart's cry that there are some things that we would not allow our children to hear, see, or experience. But there are also other things that as they mature, as they get old enough, they can hear these things, see these things, and experience these things. But when it comes to God and children, this is not the case. There is no junior Holy Spirit. There is no younger God for kids. There is no kind of little understanding that God wants to reveal to children. God just reveals who He is to children. And God longs to be with His children. Children are not too young for Jesus. Children are not too much of a time waster for Jesus. And we know this and we understand this because of what we see here in this story. Because in fact, Jesus says this, that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, to these little children. Those words, such as these, those three words are actually one Greek word. And I'm going to attempt this word, so just stay with me here. It's toyutos, kind of like Toyota, like toyutos. I wrote that down. That's that's how I was going to say it and remember it. Um, uh, Now I've forgotten it. Anyway, toyutos, and it means this, one who is such of kind, one who is such of, sh- of sort, or one who is such of character. So let's read verse 14 again. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such, those with this kind of character, and those of this sort, or those of this kind, speaking about children, belongs to the kingdom of God. So what Jesus is saying here is that if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, if you want to experience the kingdom of God, if you want to understand the kingdom of God, if you want to encounter the kingdom of God, which is his message for freedom from sin and also his presence, that's what the kingdom of God is. Jesus says, you must become like a child. You must embrace child likeness. Isn't this just the complete opposite to how we think and to how we operate? We're constantly trying to like be older than, than what we are, trying to not be childlike. You know, when you ask a child how old they are, a young child, they'll say that they're two and they'll also say I'm two and four months. And I'm turning three in, uh, let me do the math, four months, oh my gosh, in eight months, I'm turning, I'm turning three. You know, they'll let you know, like, I'm, I'm not just two, I'm, I'm almost three. You know, they'll let you know, you know, when you talk to a kid, you know, I'm not a baby anymore, that that's not who I am, that's not what I'm about. You talk to a teenager, you say, I'm not a kid anymore. Mom and dad, don't boss me around, I'm not a kid anymore. You talk to an 18-year-old, I'm an adult, man. I'm an adult, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. You know, you talk to a 25-year-old, you know, I'm not a 12-y. You know, I'm not someone who just kind of graduated year 12. I'm not like 18 anymore. I'm, like, I'm 25. Like, I'm an adult, man. Like, I've graduated uni. I've got a job. I'm, I'm a boss. You know, I'm like winning at life. You know, and, but it keeps going, you know. I've got a job. You know, like, I'm, I'm an important person. The next one is like, I've got a mortgage, you know. I've got a mortgage, you know. Like, I'm, I'm a big dog, you know, like... Yeah, you got debt. Good on you. Like, congratulations. You know, I've got a mortgage. And uh, on, on it goes as we go through life. I'm not going to offend anyone older than me. That's kind of where I'm going to stop right there. Here's the thing. Jesus encourages us to be childlike. 
to embrace childlikeness. Now, he doesn't mean for us to be childish. There's actually a big difference between childlike and childish. The difference is this. Childish refers, refers to negative child behaviors. And childlike refers to positive child behaviors. What's a negative child behavior? It's uh, throwing a tantrum. That's, that's, not, that's not childlike. That's childish. Uh, biting someone is childish. And my wife's laughing because we have a grown adult friend who still bites people. And uh, it's, it's a little weird, but they're our friend. And because we have the grace of Jesus on the inside of us, we still love them. We still appreciate them. It's just their way of, sh- of showing love. And uh, it's a little bit weird. Anyway, I hope you're listening to the podcast there. Our beautiful friend. Childish fighting over a toy. Whereas Christ-likeness is, uh, sorry, childlikeness is innocence. Positive childlike trait. Childlikeness is, is being sweet. Nothing kind of, you haven't had that life experience yet to kind of taint your heart. There's a sweetness to your heart. Uh, childlikeness is simple. Like life isn't that complicated for a child. And there's also this purity of heart. When it comes to Jesus and his kingdom, there are actually some childlike behaviors that we need to embrace in order to experience the fullness of God's kingdom. Uh, Matthew 18 actually says this, and Jesus said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said this in response to the disciples' question, who is the greatest, Jesus? Surely there's, the, who is the greatest out of us 12? Surely there's someone who is the best. And Jesus doesn't answer their question and actually just says, hey, you, who think you are so mature and so awesome, until you change and until you become like a child. See, that's not childish. Until you become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven You will never experience the power of the gospel in your life. You will never encounter God's forgiveness unless you become like a child. This morning, for some of us, maybe the reason we're not understanding God's word when we read it is because we're not approaching it in a childlike way. We're actually approaching it as if we are above the word of God, that we know more than is actually in the word of God. But when we come in in that lower position, in that humble position, we're actually able to receive what the word of God has to say. Maybe for you today, maybe the reason it's been so long since you've encountered the presence of God, it's actually because you're not coming into the presence of God like a son or like a daughter, but you're just standing there waiting with a hard heart, with a hard mind, and just kind of expecting and waiting for God to move when Jesus says, Come to me, little child, become childlike, and you will inherit the kingdom of God. So this morning, the title of my message is this, Childlike Maturity. Childlike Maturity. Because here's the truth, it's actually mature to be childlike. It's not mature to be childish, but it's mature to be childlike. It actually takes a mature heart, it takes a mature person to realize I need to embrace some of those things that I've neglected from my childhood childhood, in order to embrace the kingdom of God. And here are those things. We're going to dive into these things this morning. What, uh, this morning, I've got six childlike behaviors that we need to embrace in order to encounter the kingdom of God. The first one is this. Children are dependent. Children are dependent. In order for a child to live to its full potential, 
they are totally dependent on their parents or their guardians in their life. Without their care, guidance, financial support, provision, love, protection, wisdom, encouragement, discipline, values and support, and the list goes on when it comes to parenting, a child is helpless. If a child doesn't have these, that they probably, unfortunately, sadly, they might actually not live to their full potential. A child is totally dependent on their parent. And here's the thing, when it comes to us, as we grow older, we become less and less dependent on our parents. And to be honest, your parents are always your parents, right? You know, when you need some money, it's like, call mom, <laughs> call dad. <laughs> They're always your parents, but there's this less and less dependence on your parents as you grow up. But here's the thing, when it comes to God, this is actually not the case. In the natural, we become less and less dependent on our parents. But in the supernatural, in, in our relationship with God, we, I would actually argue we need to become more and more dependent on God as we step into the calling that He's releasing in our life in order to fulfill what God wants us to do in, on this earth, in this lifetime. We cannot do it in our own strength. And we actually need to come to this place of dependence on God. But the sad truth is, instead of growing more dependent on Him, we often choose to live independent of Him. And we choose to actually live life our own way and not embrace what the best that God has for our life. And so today, you might know God as your personal Savior, but my question to you is this. Are you dependent or are you living independent with Him? Is God someone, you're thankful for salvation, you're thankful for what He's done for your life, but are you constantly living as if I need God today? Or are you going along life living, thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me, but I'm going to live my way. I'm going to live independent because a child is dependent and Christ has told us to be childlike when we want to have an amazing relationship with him. Here's a verse that will give you a good guide as to how to answer that question. Are you living dependent or are you living independent? Proverbs 3 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. This morning, a couple of questions. Have you given God your whole heart? Do you lean or trust in your own understanding or do you lean and trust on God's understanding? Do you submit your ways to him, your, your way of living? Or are you asking God to submit to your ways of living? Tough questions but honest questions, and if we can answer them honestly, I feel like they'll enrich our lives. Here's the second thing, second behavior that we need to embrace. Children are humble. Children are humble. In the book of Luke, this same story that we read right at the beginning in, in the book of Mark, in, in Luke's versions of events, he actually, it's really quite interesting. This story, the story of the uh, Jesus and the children, is actually sandwiched between uh, these other two stories, and those two stories are the Pharisee and the tax collector and the rich young ruler. And so it goes in this order, the Pharisee and the tax collector, Jesus and the children, and the rich young ruler. More on the rich young ruler in a second. Let's focus in on the Pharisee and the tax collector. This story is actually a story that Jesus makes up to, uh, to kind of drive a point home. And to, say, to summarize it really simply, it's a comparing of prayers that the Pharisee, who was the religious leader at the time, 
and a tax collector pray to God. And if you were with us a few weeks ago, you would know and understand that a tax collector at that time was the lowest of the low, kind of the worst sinner in the eyes of the Israelite community. And the Pharisee was the highest of of honor, the most important person in the community. But Jesus tells a story where the roles are kind of flipped because the Pharisee prays a prayer of absolute pride and actually mocks the tax collector, whereas the tax collector prays this prayer of humility, realizing their sin, realizing that they are in need of God. And Jesus says, even though the Pharisee is, is, is outworking and, and living for me and, and, and being a religious leader, the tax collector is more righteous than the Pharisee. And so Luke decides to put that story and uh, the, Jesus and, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector and then put the story of the little children after that to compare and contrast how we need to have a humble heart like a child. The takeaway is this, humility is the way to enter into God's kingdom. There's no other way. You can't force your way into the kingdom of God. You can't force your way into God's presence. When you realize your sin, when you realize that you are in need of God, that is the moment that you enter into the kingdom of God. James 4 says this, God opposes the proud. The Pharisee, the one who thinks they are more righteous than they are, but he shows favor to the humble to the one who realizes their sin and realizes their need for God. I came across this amazing quote as I was preparing this message. It's going to come up on the screen. Entrance into the kingdom of God is a matter of humility that recognizes a need for God. If we want to embrace the fullness of the kingdom of God, God's message of hope, God's forgiveness, God's presence, Jesus says we must be like a child. And to be a child, we need to be humble and not proud. Number three, children are trusting. Children are trusting. You know, children have this beautiful, innocent trust. And they are, and, and they uh, sorry, this beautiful, innocent trust. And they take a risk and they place their faith in someone or something at the drop of a hat. There's kind of no hesitation. It's like, yeah, I trust you. And obviously as parents, we want to guide that innocent trust because we don't want them to end up in the wrong hands. But it's, there's this beautiful innocent trust as children trust their mom and, and children trust their dad that, that whatever they say goes unless they're having a tantrum or something like that. But, you know, there's this beautiful innocent trust. And uh, there's, a, there's a moment that Jesus has with the disciples, a, a trust moment. And it's in, in here in Matthew in chapter 14. And at the fourth watch of the night, Jesus has sent his disciples on a boat. And at the fourth watch of the night, which is really early in the morning, uh, Jesus walking on the sea. Let's just pause and just, Jesus is walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, understandably, and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And then Peter, which uh, if you're not sure who Peter is, is kind of the loud, boisterous uh, disciple. He kind of puts things out there. He's, he's the one that thinks and then it goes straight out of his mouth. It kind of doesn't have a heart filter. It's just like, think, say it. Like this is, this is Peter. Verse 28, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter has a trust moment, a childlike faith moment. That he's believing that right now he can defy the laws of nature and, and logic 
and walk on the water. Verse 29, so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. So Peter did it. Peter, Peter for a few fleeting moments, was walking on the water because verse 30 said, but when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And I love this. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith. And if you dive into that word, it's actually fleeting faith. Of you who have faith that doesn't last a long period of time. It's not the size of your faith. It's the length of your faith is what Jesus was saying here. Why did you doubt? You know, trusting in Jesus requires that we put our faith in him and his abilities and what he says about himself and that we cast out doubt and cling to faith and to trust him. And our child finds it easier to trust someone because of that beautiful innocence that we were talking about before, but also because of the lack of life experience that they have because they haven't been hurt, they haven't been portrayed. Whereas we have a trust problem with people because of people portraying us, because of people hurting us. And, and over time, as we grow up, sadly, we become less and less trusting of people and we're quick to accuse people. And it, they may not have been intending to hurt us, but because someone looked at you the same way someone did 10 years ago, you're assuming that they're going to do the same act that that person did to you all those years ago. And there's this trust issue and there's this trust battle and in a lot of ways this is good we, we learn this behavior to make sure we uh, you know don't engage with with wrong people but when it comes to God we have to unlearn this behavior we have to unlearn this behavior that God is because he's not a bad person God is a good God God for God to be God he actually has to be perfect God is a perfect God his intentions for you are good and even though sometimes as Peter was seeing that sometimes life throws itself at you if you just keep your eyes on Jesus, he's got a bigger plan. He's got a bigger vision for you. You might be going through some pain. You might be going through some suffering right now. But God has his best interest for you to the point where he might use that season of suffering to bring out beauty from ashes, to bring out a beautiful resolution in your life. You know, I mentioned the story of the rich young ruler, which is the last piece of bread in the sandwich of, uh, of these three stories being wedged together. The rich young ruler had a moment with Jesus where he could have become a close follower of Jesus. He actually asked the question, how, how do I inherit the kingdom of God? How do I follow you? And Jesus said, go and sell all your possessions and then come follow me. And the Bible says the rich young ruler went away sad. And we get this idea and we get this picture by these stories being put together that the rich young ruler didn't trust Jesus in that childlike way. But instead, he trusted his finances more. He trusted in his wealth more to the point where he turned away from Jesus. We need to be trusting people, but that childlike faith in order to embrace the kingdom of God. You still with me? We've got a few more to go. Children, number four, are in awe. Children are in awe. You know, one of the best parts of being a dad is actually seeing life through my daughter's eyes. It's, it's so much fun. It's absolutely amazing. Um, you know, they have this wonder, they have this awe about life and everything is so large. They're like a dog. It's like huge to them. It's like this massive thing that could kill them. And you're kind of like, you know, come here before you lick my child to death. But everything's so large. Everything's new 
everything like they're experiencing it for the first time and you get to relive that experience through them it's, it's amazing and uh actually there's this thing that's kind of happened with jordan uh because um because of this whole idea of i'm really honestly personally enjoying seeing life through her eyes um one night when she was just about to go to bed i, I broke the routine i broke the I broke the bedtime routine. It was like it was like a sin. Like Esther was staring at me in my eyes. You know, the routine is read the Bible, have a bath, go to bed. That, that's that's the routine, right? But I, I broke routine. Once she was finished getting dressed, I looked out the window and I saw an amazing sunset. And because I was living life through her eyes, I was like, I want to show her this, this amazing sunset. So I took my daughter outside, showed the sunset. But at that time, the, the stars were actually starting to appear. It was like late sunset and the moon was out. And she was just like, oh, my gosh, like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, that's just a big rock in the sky. You know, like, it's, that's there every week. Sometimes it's here, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's like a banana. Sometimes it's a full, like, kind of circle thing. And then I stopped and I paused. And I was like, she's never seen the moon before. And she's really taking in these stars. And so now the routine has actually kind of changed Every time now, and it's, it's amazing, it's awesome. Every time Jordan, she reads a Bible, she has a bath, and then when she gets dressed, as soon as we put the last sock on, she's like, see moon? That's her thing. See moon? And even though it's absolutely freezing right now at nighttime, we go and see moon. We haven't seen the moon for a couple of months now. I think it's in a bit of a weird phase at the moment, but we're teaching her perseverance. The moon's going to come back in Jesus' name. We're seeing life through this new wonder and awe. And you know, when it comes to the things of God, we, we have to have that sense of wonder. We have to have that sense of awe. We don't want to be apathetic towards God and apathetic towards His presence. Jesus has given us an amazing life to live. Yes, it has its challenges. Yes, it has its seasons because of what sin has done, not because of what God has done. But God has given us breath in our lungs again today. There are new mercies. There are new graces available to you. There is so much to see and do, and it's all a gift for you. The reason you exist is because God overflowed his love. His nature wanted to express his love. And so he created you and I. We were created for love. We were created for community. The reason you have this desire of love in your heart is because God first loved you. Because God loved you before the beginning of time. God loves you and he created you and he wants you to live this amazing life. But it can only be embraced when we live like through, uh, when we live through the eyes of a child where we have this awe and we have this wonder. If Kyle could come up, that'd be awesome. Here's number five. I've got two more. You still with me? Two more. Children are vulnerable. Children are vulnerable. Because of a child's dependency on their parents or their guardians, they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable to certain risks and harms and uh, they, they should be protected. There should be things in place to make sure that harm doesn't come to our children. We do this to the best of our ability. But this isn't the vulnerability that I'm talking about in this moment. I'm talking about being vulnerable with our feelings, being vulnerable in our heart. You know, children as we're experiencing with Jordan right now, uh, are laughing one minute and the next minute they're crying. <laughs> they have this crazy roller coaster of emotions and some of it is childish. And, you know, we're disciplining and, and we're raising her, but some of it is childlike. This ability to express emotion without the walls up, 
without worrying about what people will think about us. Oh man, to live like a child. I would be a lunatic. <laughs> I just wouldn't care. I'd just, I'd just be bouncing off the walls. You know, to live like a child, to have this ability to fully express yourself, not be worried or fearful or concerned about what people will think about you, what people will say about you. There's this vulnerability that they have. And I believe Jesus is actually telling us to embrace that vulnerability, not in a childish way, but in a childlike way. And again, when we approach God, it has to be from a place of vulnerability. If we're, if we're tight, if we're blocking God, if we have walls up, I'm telling you right now, you will not experience the presence of God. You will not experience the fullness of God's heart for your life. You know, as we grow older, we actually become more and more closed off. Again, through life's experiences. But here's the amazing truth. God actually wants to heal those things. God wants to restore those things and begin to open your heart again, both to people, but also to Him. Second Corinthians says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Again, God flips the script. In our culture, in our world, when you're weak, you're weak. But in the kingdom of God, when you are weak, that's when God can begin to use you. That's when God actually wants to reveal his glory through you, that he will take ashes and he will turn them into something amazing. At the end of that verse, it says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Psalm 34 verse 18 says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And I would insert there that those who are vulnerable before God, He's close to them. He's close to those who allow them to see their broken heart and saves those who have a crushed spirit. If we want to encounter the presence of God, we want to encounter the kingdom of God, we need to be childlike. And there's an element of vulnerability that we need to embrace. Here's my last point. I'm finishing. I'm landing the ship. Here we go. Number six, children know their rights. Children know their rights. Just this week, last minute, I was like, oh, man, I need to get Jordan babysat. Esther was kind of uh, doing something in the morning, and I was doing something in the morning. I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And uh, called my parents. No hesitation. Didn't, didn't mull over it. Didn't kind of like think, oh, should I do this? Should I do that? I'm like, I know my rights. I've got a child now. They're now grandparents. I know my rights. I, I know what's up here. I'm going to call the grandparents like 8.30 at night, the night before I need her to be babysat. It's like, hey, mom and dad. Can you look after Jordan for me tomorrow? And they're like, hey, no worries, no worries, no worries. I took it a step further. When I went to their house, I needed to iron my shirt. And I've got a real kind of like Kmart iron, but they've got this like, like Maya iron. You know, like Maya? You know, I mean, you got money, you go to Maya, you're like, it's got, <laughs> you got a Maya iron. I'm like, man, my shirt's gonna be so good. It's gonna be creased. And I don't ask them. I like dump my daughter and I walk straight to the laundry. I'm like, and then what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm ironing my shirt. And that's, that's cool, right? So like, yeah, yeah. I even had the uh, um, audacity. My dad's got a coffee machine. I was like, I didn't kind of ask him. I said, hey, dad, uh, espresso, please. Can I please have a coffee? But, you know, children know their rights. And my parents are not annoyed when I do that. They actually love it when I come over. And I, I'm their child. You know, as I was saying before, you know, you, you become independent, but you never outgrow your parents being your parents. And again, it's the same with God. When we come into God's presence, we need to remember that we actually, as children of God, God has promises for us. And he says that when you come hungry, when you come vulnerably, when you come humbly, I'm there. 
I'm willing to pour out my presence. I'm willing to heal you. I'm willing to set you free. Come on, why don't we stand in this place this morning?